is Islam a religion of peace as many Muslims will tell you or does it teach violence or ask its followers to use violence against non-Muslims? That's the claim that many ex-Muslims and atheists make based on the Islamic scriptures and its history. This is the question that I'm going to address today in this podcast. And for that, I've got this book with me called Islam, Misgivings and History. It was written by Asghar Ali, engineer and Islamic reformist from India. And as you know, these days I'm doing podcasts on Islamic history, its philosophy, theology and the politics of it. So I thought one of the central questions that kind of affects today's politics around the world, I should go straight into it. And I think we should take a take an objective look at this question rather than being emotional one way or the other. So let's just do that. And uh, let's get straight to the point, the heart of this question that many critics of Islam make. And the comparison is often made with the Buddha or Jesus Christ. And it is said that these two prophets or messengers or spiritual leaders, they kind of advocated peace and harmony with other communities, with other people, whereas Prophet Muhammad was a political leader and uh, he used violence to spread his message. Now, we'll have to examine this view, this opinion, this point of view very carefully. First of all, as I discussed in the previous podcast, the history, the way it unfolds in a particular region or a particular moment, it matters. So first of all, we have to understand that the historical timings and accordingly the consequences of these different religions were different and accordingly they evolved in different ways. For example, the beginnings of Buddhism and Islam, in some way they might be similar because you might say it's the start of religion, you might say it's it's the kind of teachings that they are giving to their followers and they are at the same time asking questions about the status quo, particularly the religious status quo. And people around them may not have liked them initially. But here's a crucial, crucial difference. When you talk about Buddha, he did not really face that kind of resistance among the Hindus or other communities in India. Most of the Indians were accepting of him and that's why he could, he could challenge the authority of Vedas. He could deny the beliefs, the idol worshippings of Hindus. He could do that. He could even debate with the religious scholars of other religions and pursue them to follow his path. And that was the tolerance, that was the acceptance that you would find in Indian culture. Whereas when we go to the Arabian culture at that time in Mecca, that was not really the case. The challenges that Buddha and Prophet Muhammad were facing, they were quite similar. Both were looking around, there was suffering in the society, there was maltreatment of women, there was slavery, 
there there were certain religious practices which they thought were not really helping people evolve spiritually and they tried to show a path to their followers but as i said the crucial difference in the circumstances and accordingly the responses of these two spiritual leaders they were different that does not mean that if one had born in the other place and if you just interchange them they they would exact become the opposite no that perhaps that won't happen but we still have to understand the context and that matters so as i said in buddha's case he did not really face that kind of resistance nobody really tried to kill him but in prophet muhammad's case the resistance was fierce because this this is again the technical aspect of it because buddha while he was kind of teaching those religious sermons most of his ideas were confined about individual liberation the idea of soul whereas in you go to prophet muhammad's case he is also talking about justice in the society how people should behave how laws should be made all the political aspects of it so once again this is the fundamental problem that many of you might get stuck some people might argue that uh, prophet muhammad should have stuck just like buddha only to the spiritual teachings not getting into the politics of it not getting into the social activism of it but that's a choice you make those are just different paths some people like to be political activists because they want to change the world for better and some people might not like their ideas because they might think it's kind of divisive when you get into politics and religion should be kept away from politics so that's really two different world views and it's hard to say which one is better and that's why in prophet muhammad's case the status quo in the arabian culture they those people they really had big problem with him because he was advocating the rights the social status he was challenging their hierarchies and he was speaking for the poor sections and that was kind of affecting their power in those times if he had confined himself to the to just the meditational practices just like buddha he might not have uh, got so much hatred from the other Ar- arabs but then you might also argue that he might not have changed the society for better so that again this 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 point of view remains contested there's no clear answer which way is right as i said you might look at certain problems problems affecting the politics the social structures the governance system the laws legal system and you might stay quiet about it and still follow your religion that's one way to pursue your religion the other way could be to raise your voice to uh, defend your rights as fiercely as possible and if you have to use violence in that 
that's not wrong that's pretty much what you see in many hindu texts for example in bhagavad gita the essential teaching is if you have to fight you should fight the idea of pacifism that you find in jainism or buddhism is not there in hinduism and similarly it's not in sikhism and so is the case with islam and uh, this is really a choice that you make ultimately and similarly prophet muhammad he faced these choices and whereas in the early years he tried his non violent resistance but that did not really have any impact and people kept chasing him they tried to kill him again and eventually he had to fight back so this is really this this is where the early islamic history is taking place from makka prophet muhammad has to move to medina but still there also he could not um live in peace there was tribal warfare going on constantly then they would not let him perform the hajj they would not let his followers go there so those are the kind of challenges he was facing he couldn't do anything and then what should he have done in that case just like christianity early christianity if you look it was kind of religion of slaves they were fighting against the roman empire and they were speaking against the persecutions and similarly the, the early muslims they were kind of fighting against the exploitations and oppression that was there in their societies so these are kind of pillars of islam these are central ideas to it justice for example so one of the five pillars as you know of islam is zakat where you donate money to the poor poor people that's pretty much central to it you're helping poor people and the religion is concerned about the you know you helping the poor people and that was the reason it kind of attracted a lot of followers also because it is talking about the the politics of it simply said so this question that politics should be kept away from religion it does not really apply in all cases it might go well with the protestant version of christianity or it might go well with the let's say buddhism but it doesn't go well with other religions and it kind of changes them kind of hurts one of their foundations and uh, so that's that's really the origins of it the power struggle the social justice living in real world where there are constant struggles and fights are going on and then making your way through it and once again since all these teachings the life of prophet muhammad was full of uh, practical scenarios the kind of scenarios that you face 
in your everyday life. The religion appealed to a lot of people. So all this was going on during the time uh, during the life of Prophet Muhammad. But another tragedy struck in Islamic world after the death of Prophet Muhammad, which also kind of shaped the Muslim world in the centuries to follow. And as I said, um, since a lot of lot of uh, tribal warfare was going on, the power struggle was going on among these tribes. And since during even during Prophet Muhammad's time, his own Quraysh tribe that got acknowledgement as a superior in power and resources. So there was obviously this question of successor was there that who was going to be the successor to the Holy Prophet. And that created a lot of trouble. This combined with the fact that a lot of tribes now as the Islam religion was spreading the tribes were coming together and forming this alliance under the banner of Islam. There was this shared responsibility of building a greater nation, the Islamic nation. And uh, that meant greater power. And since after the death of the Prophet, the power vacuum was there, it caused the violence. As I said, uh, the Quraysh group, they were in a kind of advantageous position because the first group of Muslims came from the tribe of Quraysh and uh, they were definitely influential and uh, they were experienced in the matters of diplomacy, even warfare. Of course, this was also the tribe where Prophet Muhammad had faced a lot of resistance in his early years but uh, eventually all of them, including the worst enemies of Islam, they embraced it after the conquest of Makkah. So they had their claim for the successors after the death of Holy Prophet. Similarly, the Ansars, the, the helpers of the Prophet from Medina, they also said, that they had their right in it. In fact, within the Quraysh tribe itself, there were divisions and uh, so as to who was going to be the successor, which eventually gave rise to Shias and Sunnis. So you see in the early history of Islam, there are different discontented groups that are there that are struggling for power that were asking for their fair share and in the politics of it you find the troubles emerging and then we enter the phase where different caliphs come and after that um, as Islam grows different emperors they established their regimes and then they conquer different territories so as it happens with many revolutions, after the first, probably the first generation of revolutionaries or first few generations, the struggle for power, that becomes primary. That has been the tragedy of the Islamic world since then. So it is in these settings that uh, early Islam was growing 
And even when you read the Quran, you find that uh, although there are verses that contain violence, for example, this one in uh, chapter 2, verse 190, it says that at fight in the way of Allah against those who fight against you, but be not aggressive. Surely Allah loves not the aggressors. So, when you see, when you observe these kind of verses very carefully, you understand the depth of it. So, for example, this one that I mentioned, it makes three really important points. The first one is, the fight must only be for God and not for personal reasons such as you want to take revenge, you, you are angry at somebody, not for those petty reasons. Two, it tells you that one should not initiate the fight but should fight only if or when you are attacked. And three, one should not persist in fighting and become aggressor. So you have to be very careful even when fighting. So when, when this persecution ceases, when, when everything calms down, you sh you're not supposed to be the aggressor. These are the kind of subtleties and details that we need to understand. In what context these uh, teachings of Islam, whether in Quran or Hadith, if they are advocating violence, for example, in certain cases, they are asking to execute those who leave the fold of Islam and uh, those who are kafirs. These are the kind of details we need to understand. For example, the idea of kafir, which appears a number of times. That today many Muslims, in fact, they use it for any non-believer. But that was not really the case. That wasn't supposed to be the case. It was supposed to be against those who are against the values of Islam. So for example, if there is a criminal, there is a murderer and you punish that person as per the law of that country. And if the law happens to be based on the Islamic teachings, then there are certain provisions. As, as I said, it kind of gets into the laws and legality of the system, into the politics of it. So it makes certain suggestions. But it does not mean at any point that you go on killing people based on your own personal beliefs. No, it does not say that. So you have to be very careful for which people it meant, how it was supposed to take place. And uh, when you come to the modern world, how should we interpret those verses? But before we interpret in our own ways, I interpret in my way, you do it on your own. The important thing is, there has to be a lot of discussions like this one. A lot of discussions, especially among the Muslims themselves, and then the Muslims and non-Muslims. So that we can understand each other. We can understand what the text is saying, what the religion is saying, what do people believe. Because currently there are a lot of misunderstandings, people are suspicious of each other and even within Muslims you find certain people following extreme versions and really harming the society. And that should not happen obviously. 
so i hope you will you would read more about it you would discuss it and build bridges thank you for listening and continue listening because this this month literally we are discussing different aspects of islam and uh, i hope you'll enjoy that thank you